Hello and welcome to the Aston University Film and Book Society podcast. Today's podcast is all going to be about the Gothic, and I am joined by Chloe, Aisha, and Amara. So, to kick things off, guys, what features of Gothic literature do you enjoy the most? Hmm. That's a tricky question. I mean, like, the Gothic novel often deals with, like, supernatural events or events occurring in nature that can't really be explained. And I really, really like stuff like that because it makes you think. So um, I definitely like that kind of whole atmosphere, like, the suspense, the mystery. I just really like that. Uh, It just makes me wonder more about the book and especially the book that we um, read this week. But what about you guys? What do you guys think? I really like how the gothic can be really nicely interwoven into the genre. So then you're like, is it gothic? I mean, particularly, one of the easiest gothic tropes to put in a non-gothic novel is the whole weather thing. Like, it was a dark, stormy night. It's all mysterious. Something bad's going to happen. And all that, I'm always just there like, ah, look at you using the gothic. So I quite, I I do quite enjoy novels that have elements of gothic because I think that only, those elements only tend to be there when it really heightens the reader experience. So I really enjoy that. I think now that you've mentioned the weather, I kind of like that too because I feel like with the gothic, it's just the whole mood of it. Like the darkness and the doom. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's like I was saying earlier how gothic sits really nicely in between sensation fiction and horror. Yeah, like, it's scary. You know, it's scary, but it really like involves you into the genre. And you're like in this book, like, oh my god, it's dark and scary. There's a vampire in Romania who's gonna come and suck my blood. And I just really like that. Yeah, but that's the thrill of, like, gothic. It's just so unpredictable and, yeah. But, Amara, what was you saying? Sorry. I heard some people uh, some people say gothic theme is rooted from romantic literature and this can be emphasised as many gothic works, has a touch of passion which often leads to um, sorrow and tragedy. The romantic lifestyle um, loves affairs is centred around Charles Dickens' work, which brings horrific villains and gothic features into account too. I would also like to talk about the physical atmosphere and setting of gothic themes. And this brings a sense of uneasiness, mystery and fear run down our spine. Like most of the gothic writing, settings are in ominous climate change, dark forests during the medieval period. And this location leverages the gothic principle, which in turn creates a frightening experience for the audience. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think going back to like that romantic idea as well, I'm taking this from an article written um, on Ingrid Taste website. I'll read you a quote. As it's widely believed, Gothic literature stemmed from romantic literature. Two genres share overlapping characteristics. Many Gothic novels are plagued by passionate romance that often leads to sorrow and tragedy. The works of Charles Dickens centre on a romantic-style love affair, but also feature in horrific villains and Gothic settings. So it's like... Like, even when the romance isn't the forefront, it's almost like there's always this, like, yeah. sultry nature behind it. You almost feel like a lot of the characters sort of flirty bantering behind the scenes, even if romance isn't necessarily at the forefront. A lot of them, it feels like there's sort of this unspoken sensual behind it, yeah. sort of thing, which is quite cool. So, um, do you think that gothic the gothic genre is something that you would have indulged in on your own or was it something that you read specifically for this society because like we said we all appreciate gothic elements in other genres of the text but 
do you specifically go looking to read gothic fiction or not so much? I don't. Yeah, I think the only pure gothic novels I've ever read are for educational purposes. Not that I dislike the gothic genre, I do like it. No, it's not something I'll lean towards. Yeah, I think I would definitely go out my way just to like read gothic novels because um, I read Woman in Black at GCSE level and I remember I really, really liked um, the feel for gothic, um, the sense of it. So I kind of like read Frankenstein, Wuthering Heights, just all those kind of like classic gothic novels. And then, yeah, just for the, just for fun, really. Oh my God, I bought a copy of Frankenstein the other day. <laughs> really? <laughs> no spoilers, no one start talking about Frankenstein in this. I mostly enjoy watching horror films at night by creating a dark atmosphere. Oh my gosh, same. And this shows gothic versus something I would normally go for. Because gothic theme normally tends to explore human emotions and understanding better. The setting will indulge uh, like a people to watch it until we, we know what happens at the end. So it, it's obviously human nature to like those imaginative characters as we have never seen those before. So go for gothic, even if it wasn't introduced on the society. I think it's one of those things where it's like, because gothic gothic elements are you know present in so many different texts so what do you think makes gothic stand out in its own right against other genres like horrors and thrillers like amara just mentioned like oh horror films do give her that gothic thing that she's looking for so what makes gothic literature and gothic texts stand out for you i think for me definitely it's the fact that they're more socially and politically focused and they're not just there to you know give you that scare factor so just wanted to ask what you guys thought on that i think also i think gothic plays on a lot of stereotypes and really tries to dig into people's fears so if you go back to like the classic gothic when it was first emerging in england a lot of it centered on this idea of the other and this kind of other nature there's this other world a lot of times set in eastern europe and we don't know it we don't know what's there it's dark it's mysterious there are people there that are going to come and hurt us and there's evil entities there and that, i think that's work because there's still a bit of a, a stigma and stereotype attached, um, attached around eastern europe and maybe it's because of that maybe it's because of the cold war but i think it's it's like quite cool to try and trace back where these stereotypes sort of emerge from it's like it's like, like, like it goes back to the cold war honey no but it's it's true no. about the cold war like there are so many things that have actually been inspired by the cold cold war like for example like um in english we're doing post-apocalyptic fiction and yeah. alien invasion stories that are a part of post-apocalyptic fiction a lot of that comes from the cold war because they see aliens and alien invasion war. as the other so this concept yeah. of the whole other it is it does have a lot to do with a lot of literature so good point chloe i think many people that i've spoken to about the gothic um genre they always assume that gothic genre is just like horror like pure horror but really it's actually more suspense and mystery like you said tanvir with like um it's more directed to you if that makes sense like so it's like it hits you personally when you read it so you yeah, feel think... it more yeah i think it's it's a genre that's like it's really gotten lost because it's so easy to take elements from it to really help elevate a non-gothic story. I like I won't watch a horror because 
you know, I don't like to be scared. I'm a little scaredy cat, but with gothic, it's like another level, another level up from. <laughs> with gothic, it's just another level up from trying to scare you. It's immersing you in this world, and like sometimes even challenging stigmas or creating because a lot of early gothic in, in, in English in the English language is really playing on people's fears and stereotypes, and that's where the fear comes from. Definitely, and that's what Mary Shelley did with Frankenstein as well. And with Dracula. Yeah, yeah with Dracula. Yeah. See, that makes sense. Yeah. See? Mm. But I would say it's a mixture of both, where authors such as Alan Poo exist, exist who gain fame for the ability to set mood and tone for a story, The Mask of the Red Death, using Gothic elements. We can enter into an unknown remote world through these Gothic books. And even if we consider the book, Hunchback of Notre Dame, which we all discussed in our first event, it successfully portrayed the ruins of Cathedral, the history of Paris, in front of us in a vivid manner. Like authors are able to capture the reader and place them in a remote and gothic world where both tone and mood are set at dark and unknown place. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because the thing that um, the Hunchback of Notre Dame does in terms of playing on fear, I think it really goes through this um, fear of dark magic and witchcraft and sorcery and like turning madness because you see that in Frollo she's like oh I'm so lovely I'm taking care of a crippled hunchback and I adopted my brother I'm a godly man I'm so brilliant and then this vixen of a woman Esmeralda struts along and and she's all like I'm so beautiful well she's not like this but this is how she feels I'm so beautiful and Frollo's just like oh I've lost it and he delves deeper into this like dark magic realm Dark magic realm. <laughs> He's not a wizard. He's not Gandalf. Okay. So a lot of the texts that we've talked about, you know, Hunchback of Notre Dame and Wuthering Heights and all that, a lot of these are really, really old, old books, right? So do you think the Gothic still has a place in, you know, modern literature and, you know, modern film and, you know? just in modern society in general? Or is it just completely outdated? It's had its day and, you know, it's not a thing anymore. I think it's outdated now, to be fair. Whenever I think of Gothic as a genre, I always think of these classic books. I feel like it's not, we're not like, we're not in the mood to like have Gothic kind of like, you know, books. We're not really into them. But you're saying that, but you've been watching horror movies all throughout October because of Halloween. Yeah, you only get them out for Halloween, yeah, that's true. The, the tropes of it I still use. But is this stereotype? Because, you know, gothic's one of those genres you can trace back a start... For, Eng- for the English language, I can't speak for other languages, but you can really trace back a starting point for it. So because it has a, a real start point and it had its heyday and it declined a little bit, I think people go back and they think, this is when the gothic was at its best. This is when the best novels were written. Yeah, it needs to be tailored if it was if it was to have a comeback, it needs to be tailored to like our society. I feel like nowadays we're more into sci-fi, you know, internet. Um it's not really gothic-y. But sci-fi borrows elements from the gothic as well. It's like you're saying it's like Tamby was saying with the alien, this idea of the other. It's just the entity of the other has just switched switched from someone in a far off land that we don't know to an alien. So even in sci-fi, it's still there. Exactly. And that's the thing but that... But people won't see it as gothic, though, yeah. if that makes sense. Again, because it's, so, it's such a blurred genre that's 
interwoven within so many other genres, it's harder to, to just distinguish that it's gothic on its own, or people just think it's horror. Or horror yeah, or definitely. They would just perceive it as horror. They wouldn't say gothic. So oh, I feel yeah. like it needs to have that moment to come back. Like, it needs to be revived, yeah. but in a way that it kind of, like, you know, caters to our society today and what we're used to. But it will be really difficult, I think, because many kids these days don't really read. So it's like... What are we gonna do? Make some films then. No, yeah. that's the thing that I feel like because we've got like horror and things like that, like the distinction is so blurred now. And I feel like exactly. if Gothic was to survive, it will only survive within other genres. I don't think it it's gonna survive, it survive on its own. Yeah, yeah it, it, I don't think it will, to be fair. But at least we've still got like the classics to, you know revert back to and I think because we've got those classics gothic is the gothic of the genre is always going to be respected for those really great legendary texts so yeah but uh, like I believe gothic is really stylish and more than two like you know Shirley Jackson Jackson, like she's quite famous she's like a true replica of modern gothic authors and she's famous for her work we have always lived in castles like this story lacks dramatic atmosphere, like which is vital for a gothic theme, but it uses like the use of magic and superstition in relation to the re- recent world, like craft full of craft and mystery, and it's related to the recent world. So if authors like Shirley Jackson exist, gothic can be revived. Mm, yeah, I think also going back to the idea of like the gothic being an older genre. It's set in a distant time. Like the Hunchback of Notre Dame was set 400 years after it was written. It's like they're not a lot of gothic novels do tend to be set in the past of even when they're writing. So even as us, the contemporary readers, we're reading something that was written in the 1800s but set in the 1400s. So I don't think that helps with this idea of the gothic being something really old and to be left with the Victorian authors. I don't think that that really helps with it. Twilight. It's like it plays a 21st century story, but it has gothic roots and characters in it. Oh, I never thought about that, you know. Yeah, me neither. About that. <laughs> <laughs> I Twilight's gothic as well. I mean, to me, Twilight was always just like that teen, that teen fiction YA sort of thing. Teen and Edward. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> never. I would never be Team Edward. I'm always Team Jacob. Always. Happy. I'm Team Jacob. I literally feel sad for Jacob. Yeah, same. I actually watched all the movies from Twilight. I only watched the first movie. I just know it so well because it's just so advertised. Oh, oh you you can't you can't only watch the first movie and then say you're Team Edward because Jacob rocks up for about five minutes of that movie. You can't do that. That's like being like David Tennant's my favorite Doctor, but having only watched David Tennant episodes. I can't believe you did that. It was kind of crap, to be fair. Yeah. The whole like graphics and stuff of the movie, but it was quite old, isn't it? It came out like. If you how did it come out like 10 years ago? The first movie 2011, maybe, maybe earlier. I don't know, something like that. Okay, not too bad then. No, it's not like proper old, old. I only read it because I wanted to just tick it off my list. Like, I did not yeah. want to read Twilight. I knew I had to read Twilight at some point, so I was like, you know what? So, um, speaking of like you know, gothic text, what's your favorite one? Because I don't think we even, even got around to that. Women in black for me. Mine would be Wuthering Heights. See, yeah, I have an issue with Wuthering Heights. It's too confusing. 
and I don't like it because I just can't follow it. It's true. It is confusing when you first read it. Do you know what my issue is with Wuthering Heights? You want to punch every single character in the face. No, it's the characters for me. They're all so annoying. They're all so self-absorbed. Like, this is what's best for me. Why can't anyone just see the way I want things to happen and accept the way my life works? They're all so self-absorbed, particularly Kathy and Heathcliff. And people act like Kathy and Heathcliff are, like, the perfect romantic couple. And I'm like, well, no, they're not, because they're both in a relationship for self selfish reasons. They're both there. They want stuff from each other that they know the other can't give they know they can't but they don't care and they're staying in this relationship despite the fact they both know it's not the best thing for either one of them and yet people are all like Kathy and Heathcliff couple goals and they're like no it's Elizabeth and Darcy all the way are the couple goals because they make each other better I just I oh, it drives me up the wall so this month we have read Hunchback and Notch Time and we are gonna watch um very soon the woman in black we we all voted on this but if you had the choice would you have picked something else for us to read and watch wait hang on that reminds me of um i got tamvi to um pick one film and one novel from the shortlist that i created because we didn't really have enough time to do a vote to make sure people had enough time to read it so we didn't vote on it, Tamvi picked The Hunchback of Notre Dame and The Woman in Black. But because we never actually published what the other options for the gothic were. So the other options for the novel were Dracula, Frankenstein and Rebecca. And the other film options were Dracula 1992, Jekyll 1931, The Silence of the Lambs and Rosemary's Baby. Actually, feel a better question would be, Tambit, why did you pick The Hunchback of Notre Dame and The Woman in Black? I feel like, okay, I didn't pick Dracula because I was like, no, Dracula's too popular. And also, I think with The Hunchback of Notre Dame, we have the Disney version, and I feel like it would have been nice to talk about both. Yeah. But you would think, think that the book would be similar to the it. Disney version, but it wasn't. It was no, it way, no, it way <laughs> different. <laughs> I feel like. Um, after having read the book, it adds so much more depth to the Disney version. So in the Disney version, Frodo, people talk about Frodo being one of the best Disney villains, but he's not really. He's evil for the sake of being evil in the Disney version, whereas in the book, he doesn't start off evil at all. And you see his progression into turning away from God and turning more towards... Um, witchcraft, the dark magic realm thing, whatever you want to call it. And so you, you see his descent into madness and you understand why he's doing the things he's doing rather than just, I'm evil because I'm evil. So I feel like the, the book really helped enhance my vision of the Disney version, which is quite nice. Frollo didn't have its moment no, that no. previously oh, spoken. <laughs> He needed he a Hellfire moment and he did not have Hellfire moment. He, do, he didn't even it. have that moment. There's an excellent stage production of The Hunchback of Notre Dame, which okay. uses, um, I think, pretty much all of the Disney songs, adds in a couple extras and um, stays a bit more truthful to the book. So the, the version was done by the Paper Mill Playhouse. And in that version, Quasimodo is the son of Frodo's brother, and the gypsy wife he marries and his brother dies so that's why he has to look after Quasimodo and he does and he's kind to Quasimodo in the beginning the same way he is in the book um, and same thing he you know sees Esmeralda he gets overwhelmed he turns away from God turns toward magic 
goes mad like same plot of that but you actually get to see that progression of Frodo he doesn't just start off as evil and he does have the hellfire moment his like arms are spread out he's just like hellfire and it's really <laughs> good and I'm really upset <laughs> that version never actually made it to Broadway because it, it's so it's such a nice marriage between the Disney versions the Disney version and the song everyone loves and actually being truthful and accurate to the book and having these characters do things for important reasons that you've developed not just doing things for the sake of doing them and I think it didn't end up going to Broadway because it was a choice between that one and the Frozen production and they ended up choosing to put the Frozen production on Broadway because we all needed a Broadway production of Frozen didn't we? Amara what would you um, pick instead of Hunchback of Notre Dame? I would have chosen Hunchback of Notre Dame really I think so Oh, okay. Did you enjoy the book? Yeah, I enjoyed it. This lockdown made me with that book. Thanks for that. <laughs> I'm glad that time they chose it then. Yeah, I'm really glad for that. Because all my friends were telling me to read this book, but I was like too reluctant to do anything. No, I know what you mean. And for this society, I did it. Thanks for that. <laughs> it's all right. Wow. You're welcome. Thanks, Abby. <laughs> You're welcome, guys. Um, okay, so I think to wrap things up a little bit, what was your favourite moment in the novel? That's a hard question, actually. I feel like I never really got really attached to the novel, so I couldn't really say what my favourite part was. I could say what it, like what needs to be improved. Okay, I feel like. <laughs> I've, oh, actually, you know I really like the mysterious kind of, like, effect he had on the characters. Like, you don't know much about them. It's kind of like a guessing game with each character. Yeah. So I really like that. Yeah. I think I was going too deep into it because of each character. But that's what I do when I read a good book. And it was well written, but it was a bit boring at the beginning. But I think the mysterious element to the characters was a great thing that he... A great technique, sorry, that he Im- implemented into the book. So what do you I guys think? I really like the writing style. Yeah. Even though it's a bit boring, but still, it's really good. <laughs> a bit boring. Do you know what? I, I really want to sit here and say I, I enjoyed the whole architecture part of the book. Because I, I really appreciate the fact that he basically wrote a novel just to rant and rave at people about how they're mistreating French architecture in Notre Dame. I just appreciate the whole sass level of that so much. But I found that part of the book so incredibly dull because at, at some point there were just whole chapters of him just going on about the architecture and at times it really felt like everything that was going on with Quasimodo and Esmeralda and Frollo was a secondary plot to basically a book that's just one long essay about Notre Dame and once I've read one description of it I, I've, I've heard them all I, d- I don't need half this book to, to, to be about Notre Dame and I feel like he kind of maybe let his real passion for Notre Dame and the way he felt about it being mistreated. I feel like he really, he went a bit too, he went slightly too far with that. And I feel like the book would be so much better if you took out most of that and literally just concentrate on the main plot. Because that's the thing, unless you are really into architecture and French architecture and Gothic architecture, I'm sure some people are, but I do think most people who read the book probably aren't going to be that into that and just want, the main character's story so like I say I want to say I like that bit but I, I 
I found myself skipping over paragraphs when he went on about their architecture a little bit. I feel I feel like you're right. Like when you talk about like the characters and how we don't know much about them, I really don't like that about the book either because I want to see like relationships. I want to see interaction between like yeah, other I know people, and it's like I really wanted to see that, but you know I just didn't, and I was really missing out on that. And same with like the love story between like. Quasimodo and Esmeralda, if we could even call it that, because it was uh, even a love story yeah, though. Exactly. We could debate that. <laughs> exactly. But... I was gonna call it anything. It was just an obsession on Quasimodo's part, and Esmeralda was kind of just stuck to accept it <laughs> because if she didn't, she was gonna die, wasn't she? He just liked her because he, she was the only woman that kind of like showed interest in yeah. him, and he assumed that was. It wasn't interest. I think I think it was her just showing him kindness, unconditional kindness, which I think. At that point in his life, besides Frollo, who was becoming, going, starting to get more distant from him anyway, he hadn't really experienced kindness from anyone else. Because everyone shows him interest, really. Like he's a hunchback walking through Paris. Everyone's interested in him, but Esmeralda showed him just pure, unconditional kindness. So that kindness but... for what you know, a relationship kind of thing. He was like, oh my gosh, I'm in love. And I can, I can vividly remember that in the actual movie as well. The way it was kind of like portrayed in the movie too. What? I can I can appreciate Quasimodo's obsession love for Esmeralda because there's there's a point there's a start point to it and it makes sense and you see where he's coming from. Esmeralda's love for Phoebus, what is that? It makes no sense whatsoever. This woman literally falls in love with him because his name means son in Greek and I'm like oh he's so pretty and all the girls want him. This man can barely remember her name half the time he ignores her the rest of the time she's just constantly running around and go phoebus where are you phoebus oh phoebus is there i faint it's all too much and that son <laughs> you literally died for this man you know nothing about doesn't know you doesn't care about you and you're dying for this man i'm just i don't i can't it, it annoys me so much it makes utterly no sense and it just makes us more look a complete and a moron I don't like Phoebus either, and I feel like Esmeralda should have chosen more carefully. The reason to why he wrote it as that, like, that way, there must be a reason. Maybe it's a stereotypical view that he had of gypsies during that time. Maybe he assumed that they would, like, you know, just be trans men and, like, you know, be like an object, a commodity, and she would just fall easily in love with some kind of fit soldier guy. I'll tell you exactly why Esmeralda is written like that and why she does stupid things for no apparent reason. It's, it's not because she was a gypsy and because that's how you envision gypsies. It was pure laziness on the part of Hugo to actually give his one female lead any sort of defining characteristic. <laughs> like, it's, it's literally within her name. She has so many different names and everyone views her so many different things and she's just an object to every single person within the book. She, she's nothing more than, than an object, right? whatever everyone wants to get out of her and so he literally just could not be asked to give her any any characteristics so if you don't give a character characteristics of course it makes absolutely no sense as to why they do things like if it was a characteristic that Esmeralda is a bit ditzy and she falls in love easily or or whatever then you could get on board with why she ends up falling in love with Phoebus because this woman has utterly no characteristics other than the fact of kindness is the only one we see you're just there like, what, why are you doing all these things? It's not so much the fact that her falling in love with Phoebus is stupid and idiotic on her part. 
is that there's no we don't understand why she's done it because we don't understand her character the only thing i can come up with is that it's a bit of a romeo and juliet thing because both her and quasimodo are only 16 in the book so whether it's just the naivety of youth is the only reason i can give that is the only sort of characteristic or definition of her character that that's the only thing i can come up with as to why she acted the way she did in the 1800s like women didn't have rights and stuff like that they didn't do stuff like that you've got to be careful with this um sweeping generalized generalizing statement that women didn't have rights because it's just it's just not really a true statement they didn't have equality when it came to like being compared to men that's what i meant but like they weren't considered to be um as equal as men during that time Okay, okay, the fact that she's the only like named named female character, I think it's That's really true, good true. that she has both masculine and feminine traits. But again, yeah, the English lit yeah. student in me says women did have rights, but very limited rights. And if Abby heard you yeah. say that, oh my god, Abby heard you say that, she would go off on you. Oh my god. <laughs> what I meant with the term didn't have rights was probably that they weren't as equal to men. Maybe they did have rights in their own kind of like stance. It makes you think a bit more and a bit more into the society of French society then. So I'm definitely going to look into that a bit more, like the French society and what um, you know, women and men were traditionally meant to be doing, if that makes sense. You've mentioned um, French. I do wonder how much, because I think the book is quite dense and difficult to read at times, and I do wonder how much of that is the fact that it's been translated from another language. And I would, I'm never going to be able to, I'm never going to have a good enough grasp on the French language for that, like, GCSE scars me for that, never going back to French. But I would, like, it would be quite cool to be able to read it in the original language it was intended and if that does make it an easy read it makes it a difficult read if you pick up on more things i do wonder how much of it was lost in translation that's true because you know when you like read the beginning bit where it's like talking about the architecture and stuff there are awkward sentences like you wouldn't naturally say that if that makes sense but maybe that was natural then but not now so could be that or it could be translation see that's the thing with it so you've got you've got the time element like it was written um a, a, a little under 200 years ago i think something like that and obviously you know when when you read victorian text now that the language has always changed because language evolves over time so you've got the time element of it and then you've also got the language element the fact that it's been translated so i think particularly if you're going to read it in english it it, it, it doesn't pave any favors for the novel okay one final thing and i think we'll call it a day for this podcast if you yep. could describe the book in a sentence each what what, what Ooh, in a sentence, sentence. Yeah. oh gosh mm-hmm. i'm gonna have to think about that oh no this is like when a lecturer asks your opinion on something and you've literally got a blank brain and you're just sitting there with just uh expression on your face and they won't leave you alone until you say something um i'm going to say do the ramblings of an architectural lover. Oh, I love that. Ramblings of an architectural lover. I just really appreciate him for writing a whole novel just to have a go at people. I just love it. Love it, love it, love it. I think for me, if I was to sum it up in a sentence, it would literally be a failed love story with very weird relationships and a cathedral. Yeah. There you go. I would sum it up. Um, it's quite difficult, actually. Like, it's a mysterious book, but it has one kind of, like, goal. And that goal is to, like, save 
Notre Dame. So I would just say it's like it's all t- like the main goal is to save Notre Dame. It's basically like a if you I'm not I'm not sure if I could like really class it as a biography of the Notre Dame. I'm not sure if I would say that, but it's just a rant basically, <laughs> like a rant. You literally just nicked my sentence. Why are you nicking my sentence? That's so rude. I really can't hear what you say, so that's why I'm kind of like repeating what you're saying because I can't hear anything. You're just muffled. Whatever, we'll blame my bad Wi-Fi. I forgive you. Okay then, thank you very much for taking part in this month's podcast, and we shall see you next month with what theme, Chloe? World War One and World War Two. Brilliant. I'm super excited for that. World War One, World War Two will be so excited. So see you guys. Hope you enjoyed our podcast. Yeah, thank you very much for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. And see you next month. This episode of the Aston University Film and Book Society podcast was researched and hosted by Canva Carr and edited by Chloe Bailey.